0: You're listening to Understanding Sin and Evil, Dr. Miriam Brand on the Bible, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and the Ancient World. Learn more at understandingsin.com. Hello, and welcome back to Understanding Sin and Evil. In this episode, focusing on the book of Enoch and the Watchers myth, We're going to look at how the Book of Enoch reflects different versions of the Watchers myth that all have different explanations of the extent to which what the Watchers did influenced later generations in terms of sin and evil. Now, who were the Watchers? If you are joining me now for the first time, I highly recommend that you listen first to my last episode, who watches the Watchers, and that will give you a background, the biblical background, of the Watchers' story. Right now, though, what we're going to talk about is how the Watchers, who, let's face it, in the Bible, they're not the Watchers. They're Ben Elohim, the, the divine beings, or in Jewish interpretation, judges, or in Christian interpretation, children of Seth, who mate with human women, and then produce the heroes of old who seem to be, or not, depending on how you interpret it, the Nephilim, who are later identified in the Bible with giants. But that becomes what we call the Watcher's Myth in Second Temple literature, and we really see that in its full force in the Book of Enoch. So now a few words about the Book of Enoch. The Book of Enoch is not actually one book. It's really important to understand and to remember this. If you try to read the whole book straight through, it is pretty confusing. Because in fact, it's made up of five or perhaps six different books. Six different books if you count the very last chapter as its own book. So what you have is you have different books from different times Written with different ideas, but all centered around Enoch. Why do we have all these books written about Enoch in this period? Well, the reason really is pretty clear when we read the verses in Genesis, Bereshit, chapter 5, verses 18 to 24. And I'm now going to read the NJPS translation. When Yared had lived 162 years, he begot Enoch, chanoch in Hebrew. When Enoch, had lived 65 years, he begot Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, I'm just going to call him Methuselah from now on, Enoch walked with God 300 years, and he begot sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch came to 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more, for God took him. Now you heard how many times the word God repeats. That's the translation, and that's the way we would translate it, and that is, you know, seems to be the correct translation. However, each time that you hear the word God in the verse, the word in Hebrew is what Second Temple people would read perhaps as angels, ha Elohim. So let's read that again, where each time with God, for God, let's Let's um, see how it reads if I say angels instead, if they're reading it as angels. After the birth of Mithushelach, Enoch walked with the angels 300 years, and he begot sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch came to 365 years. Enoch walked with the angels. Then he was no more, for the angels took him. Now you might say, well, why would we want to read? It doesn't doesn't say Bnei HaElohim here. It doesn't say the, son, the sons of God, meaning divine beings, meaning angels. So you could just read it as God. Why would anyone want to read it as angels? Well, the key to that is that it says that Enoch walked with God. And already in the second temple period, that's considered pretty impossible. How can you walk with God? God is so awesome. God is so great. God is so, and because of that, God is so distant and, and in a way not accessible, you can't walk with God, but you can walk with the angels if they let you into the angelic mysteries. Now, this was a period in which there was intense interest in the mysteries of the world and the mysteries of the angels and a real belief in this whole angelic world, which we do not see or have real access to, but is but is there in which we can learn about if we simply have, somehow get access to the mysteries. And so we have these books that have as their common theme, you could say, what did Enoch see? If Enoch was up in heaven walking with the angels, one of the questions is, well, how did he get there? Why was he taken? And another question is, what did he see? Another very um, telling uh, piece of information in these verses is that Enoch lived, lived 365 years. And that number ends up connecting Enoch to astronomical observations. In other words, Enoch becomes connected in the minds of Second Temple Jews, of some Second Temple Jews, with the solar year. There was a real movement in the Second Temple period that the solar year was in fact the correct year. The lunisolar year, namely the lunar year that is continually adjusted to match the solar year according to leap years, that it which was um in general the calendar for much of the ancient near east and is still used by Jews today that was in doubt in this during this period a few words about that uh, why was it in doubt and how do we know that it wasn't actually the solar year that was the original year because the jews who were arguing for a solar year did in fact consider that that had to be the original year well the reason is because in fact if you look at the ancient near east the entire this entire area of the ancient near east kept a lunar solar year what does that mean it kept a lunar year but it adjusted it so that it would stay in tune with the solar seasons if you pay attention to the jewish calendar this is absolutely necessary because, for example, Pesach, Passover, must be in the spring every year. It has to be in the spring. So you, even though you're keeping a lunar year, it can't be a completely lunar year like you have, for example, in Islam. In Islam, it's a completely lunar year. Ramadan can come out at any time of year. But for Jews, Pesach, for example, must be in the spring. The The holidays are connected to agricultural seasons as well as to religious commemoration essentially every major holidays holidays connected to some kind of agricultural event and therefore must be adjusted for the solar year when did people start comparing calendars and saying which one was best well really when alexander conquered the entire area and then the greeks started comparing different calendrical systems in egypt they kept a solar calendar and the conclusion was you know what are solar calendars way better than a lunisolar calendar Why? Because a solar calendar never needs to be adjusted. This is actually, at least in terms of Jewish um, astronomical documents from this period, they seem to think that you never need a leap year with a solar year. The Qumran calendar was a solar calendar, and it had 364 days, which was off, right? But they thought 364 days, it is perfect. You can split it into four. They had 12 30-day months, and then every three months, essentially every season, they had one extra day to get to 364. It just works out perfectly. They had it so that holidays always fell on the same day of the week every year. So, for example, the first day of the year, Rosh Hashanah, was always Wednesday. Why was it Wednesday? Because, of course, the planets were created on Wednesday and you can't have a calendar until you have the planets. So, of course, the first day of the year is Wednesday, every year. And they were able to do that because they had this perfect 364-day year. And the problem is that this was actually a group of the Qumran community or or the Dead Sea sect existed for probably over 200 years so how in the world do you keep a calendar that's off by more than a day for over 100 years and that's why that there are some people who even question whether they were able to keep that 364 day calendar at all I personally think they probably tried to keep it and every now and then they said whoops there was some mistake apparently someone made an error back then and we have to adjust it but why did they want to keep a solar solar calendar because their attitude was well obviously everything god does is perfect if we compare the calendars and we see that the solar calendar is so much better than this lunar calendar that needs to be adjusted for the solar year the solar calendar is so much more perfect that must have been the original someone messed up somewhere along the line that must have been the original calendar and the dead sea sect is clearly not they're clearly not the only ones saying this because we have Uh, We have, for example, the Astronomical Book in the Book of Enoch that argues for a solar calendar. Uh, We have the Book of Jubilees. There are some major works that reflect the view that really you should be keeping a solar calendar. So that becomes connected to Enoch because of his uh, 365 years, the idea of a solar calendar. But coming back to uh, what we are really going to be focusing on today is how the myth of the Watchers plays out in the Book of Enoch. So what we're really going to be focusing on are the first 36 chapters of the Book of Enoch. The first 36 chapters of the Book of Enoch are, again, their own book, and we call it the Book of the Watchers because that's what this book focuses on, the Watchers and the story of the Watchers. Now, before I start on the Watchers, one more thing about Enoch. It's very important to say, since I'm mentioning Enoch, and you might hear the phrase enochic judaism now enochic judaism is not something that actually existed it is what's called an academic construct in other words it's a bunch some there's some academics who said oh look here are these different books about enoch they're all collected in a single book these books by the way were all written apparently in aramaic we have them all in ethiopic in Gez." but in between they're translated into Greek. So you have Aramaic books translated into Greek, then translated into Ethiopic and kept by the Ethiopian church. However, the Book of the Watchers, we actually do have a a fairly large piece of it that we still have preserved in Greek. So that is always the preferred reading, the Greek reading, when we can get it. The rest of the Book of Enoch we only have in It's Ethiopic translation, and we do have fragments in the Dead Sea Scrolls in Aramaic of all of the books except for the parables of Enoch which is an unusual book in other respects as well. But Enochic Judaism is this idea that there were Jews who didn't care so much about Jewish law. They really only cared about Enoch and wisdom. And there is no reason to say that there were, in fact, Jews like this, because whenever we find Enoch, we find it in the context of other books that are very concerned with Jewish law. So, for example, we have found fragments of every single piece of the book of Enoch, except for the parables of Enoch, in the Qumran scrolls and Qumran, the Qumran community was tremendously involved in the law and in keeping the law and in legal aspects. Jubilees, which we're going to be talking about next week, the Book of Jubilees is also very concerned with the law and bases its account of the Watchers on accounts found in the Book of Enoch. So, in other words, the people who are the person who's writing Jubilees is reading the Book of Enoch and is very concerned with the law. So why would you have all these books of Enoch that don't talk about the law, that instead talk about wisdom and mysteries? And the answer is because it's what's called part of a genre of wisdom literature. Wisdom literature, things like if you're familiar with Proverbs, with Kohelet, these are books that are concerned more with wisdom than with law. Wisdom, how to live, certain perhaps existential questions. And in terms of Enoch, it's it's concerned with wisdom, knowledge of the time to come, knowledge of the current heavenly mysteries, knowledge of astronomy. All these things are a part of kind of the wisdom approach of these books. However, they were read together with Legal books. Remember that religious people in the old days were not less complex necessarily than religious people today. I can read Harry Potter and I can read the Bible. Uh, I have friends where, if you open their library, you would find all the Harry Potter books, and maybe only one small Bible somewhere. So, it would if someone? did an excavation where they say, oh, this is the Harry Potter branch of Judaism. It, they might, but they'd be wrong. This person just happens to really like Harry Potter. Coming back to our topic, which is Enoch and the Watcher's Myth or the Watcher's Story. Now, this is a longer than usual episode. So if you don't have an hour to spend now, this is a good time to pause and then pick it up later. Then you'll have about the length of a regular episode, 40 or 45 minutes until the end. So what I'm going to do now is really walk you through the Watcher's story as it appears in the Book of Enoch, and specifically the Book of the Watchers. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how the Watcher's myth is interpreted in the different parts of the Book of of the Watchers. And in particular, the questions that we're going to, to ask are, one, what was the Watcher's sin? What did they actually do? Two, did this cause physical destruction or sin, or both, three did it lead to the flood? four did it lead to evil after the flood? Now, all these questions I'm asking about the book of Enoch, I'm not asking it about the biblical story because if you remember from last episode from our last episode, while you could read it in the Bible that as if there's some kind of connection between the flood and the, and the story of the watchers, there is no explicit connection. In the biblical story and we'll see that the fact that there's no explicit connection in the biblical story also plays out in one of the interpretations we will find in the Book of the Watchers in the Book of Enoch so I'm going to begin by reading from chapter 6 which begins with almost a repetition of Genesis chapter 6 and it came to pass when the sons of men had increased that in those days they were born to them fair and beautiful daughters and the angels, the sons of heaven, saw them and desired them. Here's where it changes. And they said to one another, Come, let us choose for ourselves wives from the children of men, and let us beget for ourselves children. Okay, so here it's clear what the reason is that they want these women. They want to have children with them. And Shemichaza, who was their leader, said to them, I fear that you may not wish this deed to be done, and that I alone will pay for this great sin. And they all answered him and said, let us all swear an oath and bind one another with curses not to alter this plan, but to carry out this plan effectively. Then they all swore together and all bound one another with curses to it. And they do this by the mountain Hermon because of the word cherim, which indicates an oath. And then it says in chapter seven, and they took wives for themselves and every one chose for himself one each. And they began to go into them and were promiscuous with them. Okay, so what is the sin here? The sin here is they wanted to have children. They saw these women. They were beautiful. They wanted to have children with them. They knew what they were doing was a terrible sin. And they all agreed. And their leader was Shemichaza. This is one of the interwoven traditions that we have in the Book of the Watchers in Enoch. Shemichaza and his followers want to have children. And so they so they mate with women another tradition that we're going to see is Asael Asael is an angel who comes down and doesn't mate with women he teaches men the arts of war he teaches them how to make weapons he teaches women how to adorn themselves and how to uh, put on makeup which of course causes the sin of lust. You have violence and you have lust. And those two pieces of knowledge cause tremendous sinning. Then finally we have another tradition which is interwoven with both of these, which is what was the sin? It was teaching them forbidden knowledge, the knowledge of magic. So let's continue reading. We've already read about Shemichaza and their meeting with women. Now I'm actually going to read for you translation of the greek manuscript which in this part of the text we still have and which is always preferable to the ethiopic and they took wives for themselves and everyone chose for himself one each and they began to go into them and were promiscuous with them and they taught them charms and spells and showed to them the cutting of roots and trees and that's that other tradition of the of the fact that they taught them forbidden knowledge they taught them magic it's interwoven in various parts of the story and they became pregnant and bore large giants now in the greek manuscript which is preferable to ethiopic it says and they bore to them three kinds first large giants and the giants begotten nephilim and to the nephilim were born Eliud, and they were growing in accordance with their greatness now this separation into three generations giants nephilim and Eliud is a little strange the giants are apparently the heroes of old the Nephilim are the Nephilim. In other words, we're going back to the biblical verse, and they're trying to explain the different characters that appear after the mating with women. So it says that their descendants were the heroes of old, but it also says the Nephilim were then in the land. So you have the Nephilim, you have the giants, and we don't know who the Eliud were. It's clearly a corruption of some Aramaic word, but we're not exactly sure who the elude are supposed to represent these devoured all the toil of men until men were unable to sustain them and the giants turned against them in order to devour men and they began to sin against birds and against animals and against reptiles and against fish and they devoured one another's flesh and drank the blood from it then the earth complained about the lawless ones now note who are the lawless ones here They're the Watcher's descendants. They're the giants and the Nephilim and the Eliud. They're not people. The people aren't sinning. Right now, they're sinned against. Okay, so what's the sin in the Shemichaza tradition? Angels rebel, knowing that they're rebelling. They take women. One of the main purposes seems to be to have children. They, in fact, do have children. They have giant children. These giant children... Are monstrous. They not only eat everything that man has done, they start eating all the animals and the men themselves. They start eating each other. There is no way to satisfy them. Now, by the way, the idea that you have devouring giants, even devouring giants that come out of some kind of divine mating, uh, we actually find in a very old Ugaritic myth called the Birth of the Gracious Gods, where the God El comes down, mates with two human women, and they produce giants who simply start devouring everything. So that's an interesting parallel. But of course, the Ugaritic story is so old that it's difficult to draw a direct connection. However, this theme, the idea that giants devour and can't be satisfied is not that surprising. However, it's also clearly a result of the fact that they were born out of a rebellion against God and out of a mating that should not have happened. Then the earth complained about the lawless ones. Let's pause. So that's that version. Now, in the Book of Enoch, we're going to start another tradition. Listen to this. And Asael taught men to make swords and daggers and shields and breastplates. And he showed them the things after these. And the art of making them bracelets and ornaments and the art of making up the eyes and beautifying the eyelids and the most precious and choice stones and all kinds of colored dyes. And the world was changed. Sure, it was changed because now there is war and there is lust. And there was great impiety and much fornication. And they went astray and all their ways became corrupt. Okay, so here we have a difference Note that in the Shemichaza tradition, there was just tremendous uh, evil done by the giants. But people weren't doing evil. They were being eaten up, but they weren't doing evil. Here we have Asael doing something that causes human sin. All the people's ways have become corrupt. So we could say that according to this passage, the corruption of the earth that precedes the flood in Genesis is the result of human sin, not just of angelic sin. Now, actually, in the Greek, in addition to the phrase, and the world was changed, we have uh, another sentence. And the sons of men made these things for themselves and their wives, and they transgressed and led astray the holy ones. Now, according to this sentence, what Asael did actually precedes the sin of the watchers. In other words, Asael came down. He taught men arts of war. He taught women How to apply makeup. And once the women could make themselves beautiful that way, they were able to tempt the watchers to mate with them. So that's an interesting kind of change in the story, but you won't find that verse in the Ethiopic translation. So after there was great impiety and much fornication, and they went astray and all their ways became corrupt, we have another addition in terms of the teaching of forbidden knowledge. In this case, we actually have some Aramaic fragments from Qumran. So it seems to read as follows. Shemichaza taught spellbinding and cutting of roots. Hermoni taught the loosing of spells, magic, sorcery, and skill. Barak El taught the signs of thunders. Kochavel taught the signs of the stars. Zik taught the signs of lightning flashes. If you know Hebrew, you can hear that the names are very appropriate to what they're teaching. Artakov taught the signs of the earth. Shamshiel taught the signs of the sun. Sakriel taught the signs of the moon. And they all began to reveal secrets to their world. Wives. So in this case, you have these secrets that the angels are revealing, which is forbidden knowledge, are being taught to their wives. The idea was first they mated with them, and now that they're, you know, husband and wife, these secrets are making their way to humankind, and that is forbidden knowledge, and bad things are going to happen. And at the destruction of men, they cried out, and their voice reached heaven. So this can either be destruction caused by the war, which happened because of Asael's teaching, or or it might be the direct result of human sin caused by all this forbidden knowledge they're being taught. And then Michael, Gabriel, Suriel, and Uriel look down from heaven. Now these four angels, Michael, Gabriel, Suriel, and Uriel, that's the Ethiopic. But in the Aramaic fragments, we have Michael, Suriel, Raphael, and Gabriel. And those are these four angels also appear in the war scroll. So they look down from heaven and saw the mass of blood that was being shed on the earth, and all the iniquity that was being done on the earth, and they said to one another, Let the devastated earth cry out with the sound of their cries unto the gate of heaven. And now to you, O holy ones of heaven, the souls of men complain, saying, Bring our suit before the Most High. Why the souls of men? These are the souls of the humans who have been killed because of the angels' actions, either through the giants... That the giants have eaten them or killed them, or that they've been killed because of the war that has been caused, they're crying out for justice. So when they complain to God, when the angels essentially carry their complaints to God, they repeat for us, they summarize what has been done on earth and what each angel is responsible for, what each angel has done. So they say to God, you know what Asael has done, how he has taught all iniquity on the earth, and revealed the eternal secrets which remain in heaven, and Shemichaza has made known spells, he to whom you gave authority to rule over those who are with him, and they went in to the daughters of men together, and lay with those women, and became unclean, and revealed to them these sins." So here we have the combination in the Shamichaza tradition, the fact that Shamichaza and his followers slept with human women in order to have children with them, and also that they taught them all sorts of heavenly mysteries which they should not have taught them. And at the same time, Asael taught forbidden knowledge in the form of more common knowledge, military knowledge, and knowledge of adornment. So again, and they went into the daughters of men together and lay with those women and became unclean and revealed to them these sins. And the women bore giants, and thereby the whole earth has been filled with blood and iniquity. And now behold, the souls which have died cry out and complain into the gate of heaven, and their lament has ascended, and they cannot go out in the face of the iniquity which is being committed on the earth. And you know everything before it happens, and you know this and what concerns each of them. But you say nothing to us. This is the angels speaking to God. This is the angels essentially voicing the frequent question of why, God, do you not interfere in evil that's going on on earth? And they're saying, God, you knew everything before it happens. Why did you not interfere? And now what are we supposed to do? So what is the result? Of the angels crying out to God, what is the justice? In fact, there's justice for each of the angels according to what he has done. Asael is bound and 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 thrown on jagged and sharp stones and covered with darkness, and he is going to stay in darkness till the great day of judgment, till the essentially the apocalyptic future when he will be hurled, hurled into the fire and God says restore the earth which the angels have ruined and announce the restoration of the earth for I shall restore the earth so that not all the sons of men shall be destroyed through the mystery of everything which the waters made known and taught to their sons because this actually is referring to that tradition by which the problem was the forbidden knowledge that people learned so right now put the giants on the side for a second and think of a version of the Watcher story where the reason that people were sinning and the reason that people were crying out was not because of the violence of the giants, but because of all these secrets that have been taught, whether they're real, really mysterious secrets like what Shemihaza taught or the more day-to-day secrets, as it were, of warfare and adornment, which Asael taught. Now the earth needs to be cleansed of this knowledge. And the Lord said to Gabriel, Proceed against the bastards and the reprobates and against the sons of the fornicators. And so this was interesting because Raphael was the angel who had to punish Asael. And it makes sense that Raphael had to be the one to punish Asael and restore the earth because, of course, his name means to cure. But what will be Shemichaza's punishment? and the giants punishment the lord said to gabriel proceed against the bastards and the reprobates and against the sons of the fornicators the bastards are the watchers children this is the earliest example of the designation bastards being applied to the descendants of the watchers why bastards because it's an illicit union between angels and humans i'll remind you that in judaism as opposed to say christianity christianity a bastard is born out of wedlock in judaism a bastard is only someone who's born as a result of an illicit union in other words if a married woman has an affair then that child will be a bastard but if a single woman has an affair her child is not a bastard it's if if a man has a relationship with his aunt again the child would be a bastard so here there's an illicit union and therefore the children are bastards But this is the earliest example we have of this term being applied to the watcher's children. So again, And the Lord said to Gabriel, Proceed against the bastards and the reprobates and against the sons of the fornicators, and destroy the sons of the fornicators and the sons of the watchers from amongst men. And send them out and send them against one another, and let them destroy themselves in battle for they will not have length of days. Now, this is an appropriate punishment. The giants brought a tremendous amount of violence, so let them kill each other with their own violence. Now, note, for they will not have length of days. This is an interpretation of the verse in Genesis 6, 3, my breath shall not abide in man forever. So here, that verse is seen as the punishment for the giants. The giants are not going to last. And they will all petition you. But their fathers will gain nothing in respect of them, for they hope for eternal life, and that each of them will live life for 500 years. In other words, this is how it's interpreting that. Because if you remember, we said, what do you mean there's a limit of 120 years? Right afterwards, we see people living far more than 120 years in the biblical account. So here, that verse is interpreted as referring specifically to the children of the watchers, the giants. And the Lord said to Michael, Go inform Shemichaza and the others with him who have associated with the women to corrupt themselves with them in all their uncleanness. His, the giants get a punishment which is death, but the angels who have mated with human women, they also deserve a punishment when all their sons kill each other, and when they see the destruction of their beloved ones bind them for seventy generations under the hills of the earth until the day of their judgment and of their consummation until the judgment which is for all eternity is accomplished and those days they will lead them to the abyss of fire so what's their punishment their punishment is to see their children destroyed And then they're bound, and then they wait for the final fire that will consume them. So that's very appropriate, because their whole point in mating with these human women was to see children. They wanted children, if you recall. So they will see their own children destroyed. Now, what's interesting, of course, is that each angel is getting a different job. And there's a longstanding Jewish tradition that an angel can only do one thing at a time, that each time an angel is sent, he has one job. And here we kind of see this in Enoch, that each angel has his own job. So Raphael punished Asael and then cured the earth. Gabriel, or Gavriel, destroyed the giants. And now Michael, Michael, is the one to punish Shemichaza and his buddies. This doesn't end with punishment, though. It says, and destroy all the souls of lust and the sons of the watchers, for they have wronged men destroy all wrong from the face of the earth and every evil work will cease and let the plant of righteousness and truth appear and the deed will become a blessing. Righteousness and truth will they plant in joy forever. And now all the righteous will be humble and will live until they beget thousands and all the days of their youth and their Sabbaths they will fulfill in peace. And in those days, the whole earth will be tilled in righteousness and all of it will be planted with trees and it will be filled with blessing. So in this passage, it's possible to interpret and destroy all the souls of lust and the sons of the watchers for they have wronged men it is possible to interpret that as the flood and then but then it sounds like every all all wrong everything wrong will be destroyed and all evil will be destroyed and only righteousness will remain and it continues i'm skipping a lot but it says and all the sons of men shall be righteous and all the nations shall serve and bless me and all shall worship me And the earth will be cleansed from all corruption and from all sin and from all wrath and from all torment. And I will not again send a flood upon it for all generations forever. Now that's kind of a strange way of describing the flood because we know that right after the flood, there is more evil. So why is the flood being described this way? It is using the flood as kind of a paradigm of the apocalypse that is to come. Both the author of the Book of the Watchers and those reading or hearing the Book of the Watchers are hoping for this apocalyptic ending, which is apocalyptic destruction, rather, that's going to destroy not just the wicked, but all wickedness. And afterwards, it will be a paradise for the righteous. And so here, the author is allowing himself to describe the flood that way, even though it doesn't work that way in the Bible once we get to chapter 12, there's finally a connection to Enoch. This whole watcher story that we had with the different traditions of sin, um, that had nothing to do with Enoch, right? That was just the watchers, you know, doing their thing. Now, again, I just want to repeat before we continue. So what did we have? We had Asael teaching all sorts of crafts, the bad crafts. We had Shemichaza mating with women in order to have children and producing these horribly violent giants. And we have the teaching of magic and forbidden knowledge. So in the telling of this story, it sounds like the flood happens as a way to both destroy the giants and to restore the earth following the, following the, and to restore the earth following the corruption that has happened because of what Asael has taught and the forbidden magic that has been taught, the forbidden knowledge that has been taught which is magic and all sorts of astrological knowledge so where does Enoch come in well enoch comes in in chapter 12 and before everything enoch had been hidden and none of the sons of men knew where he was hidden or where he was or what had happened and all his doings were with the holy ones and with the watchers in his days so this is explaining that he was no more for god took him so the author is clearly interpreting elohim as angels because he's with watchers Right, that's where he is. He's with the angels. Here, the watchers mean, means angels in general. It doesn't mean the angels who sent. And I, Enoch, was blessing the great Lord and the king of eternity. And behold, the watchers called to me, Enoch the scribe, and said to me, Enoch, scribe of righteousness, go, inform the watchers of heaven who have left the high heaven. So here we have watchers used twice, once to mean regular angels and once to mean the angels who sent. So the watchers, regular angels, call him and they say, go tell the watchers of heaven who have left the high heaven and the holy eternal place and have corrupted themselves with the women and have done as the sons of men do and have taken wives for themselves and have become completely corrupted on the earth. They will have on earth neither peace nor forgiveness of sin, for they will not rejoice in their sons. The slaughter of their beloved ones they will see and over the destruction of their sons they will lament and petition forever, but they will have neither mercy nor peace. So Enoch goes and he gives the watchers this verdict. And so the watchers that hear their sentence, they say, listen, could you write out, could you write a record of a petition so that we'll be forgiven and take and take the record up to God in heaven? And it says, for they themselves were not able from then on to speak. And they did not raise their eyes to heaven out of shame for the sins for which they had been condemned. Now, actually here, uh, Enoch is being used as kind of a court clerk these are official proceedings. So he's serving them with their with their verdict, and they're asking him to kind of file the official form for them and petition for their forgiveness. And that is, in fact, what he does. And then it says, And behold, a dream came to me, and visions fell upon me. And I saw a vision of wrath, namely that I should speak to the sons of heaven and reprove them. And I woke up and went to them, and they were all sitting gathered together. As they mourned. And I spoke before them all the visions which I had seen in my sleep. And I began to speak these words of righteousness and to reprove the watchers of heaven. So, and essentially he tells them, forget it, you're not going to be forgiven. Okay, so with all the different traditions, this was actually one account of the watchers. Because in this account of the watchers and their punishment, everything ends with a flood. Yes, what they did may have caused the flood because the flood needed to destroy the giants. Even though it's a little bit confusing, why was the flood needed to destroy the giants if they destroyed each other in front of the Watchers? But it seems to be that the flood was needed to cleanse the earth of everything that was caused by the Watchers' behavior, both in terms of teaching forbidden knowledge and in terms of what the Giants themselves, the damage the Giants themselves have done. However, in the next section of the Book of Watchers, which seems to come from a different tradition has a very different idea about what happened where the flood does not in fact end the influence of the watcher's actions. And this is in the answer to their petition where God says to Enoch in chapter 15, and he answered me and said to me with his voice, here, do not be afraid, Enoch, you righteous man and scribe of righteousness. Come hither and hear my voice and go say to the watchers of heaven who sent you to petition on their behalf. You ought to petition on behalf of men not men on behalf of you. Why have you left the high, holy, and eternal heaven, and lain with the women, and become unclean with the daughters of men, and taken wives for yourselves, and done as the sons of the earth, and begotten giant sons? And you were spiritual, holy, living an eternal life, But you became unclean upon the women and uh, and begat children through the blood of flesh and lusted after the blood of men and produced flesh and blood as they do who died and are destroyed. In other words, you are spiritual, you are eternal, and yet you went and did the same thing that men who are physical and mortal do. And it continues, and for this reason I gave them wives, namely that they might sow seed in them, and that children might be born by them, that thus deeds might be done on the earth. In other words, this is the form of human immortality, as it were. This is the ability to have children means that there's a continuation of humans. But you formerly were spiritual, living an eternal, immortal life for all the generations of the world. For this reason, I did not arrange wives for you, because the dwelling of the spiritual ones is in heaven. So in other words, you don't need wives, you don't need children. You're going to live forever, and you live in heaven. You don't belong on earth. You shouldn't be having children. And now look what you did. And now the giants who were born from spirits and flesh will be called evil spirits upon the earth, and on the earth will be their dwelling. And evil spirits came out from their flesh, because from above they were created. From the holy watchers was their origin and first foundation. Evil spirits they will be on the earth, and spirits of the evil ones they will be called. And the dwelling of the spirits of heaven is in heaven, but the dwelling of the spirits of earth, who were born on earth, is on earth. And the spirits of the giants which do wrong and are corrupt and attack and fight and break on the earth and cause sorrow and they eat no food and do not thirst and are not observed and these spirits will rise against the sons of men and against the women because they came out from them. In the days of the slaughter and destruction and the death of the giants wherever the spirits have gone out from their bodies their flesh shall be destroyed before the judgment Thus, they will be destroyed until the day of the great consummation is accomplished upon the great age, upon the watchers, and the impious ones. So what is going to happen? What's going to happen here is very different than what we just had heard described earlier, where the flood kind of brings this beautiful new age of righteousness. On the contrary, because the giants are the result of this kind of mix of spiritual and physical, The physical part of them can die, but the spiritual part will continue. However, the spiritual part is now bound to earth. Unlike angels who dwell in heaven, these spirits will now be bound to earth, and they're going to cause all sorts of problems for humankind. Now, what's interesting is it's not clear in this are they going to cause sin or not. I'm going to repeat the actions that they do. And the spirits of the giants which do wrong and are corrupt and attack and fight and break on the earth and cause sorrow and they eat no food and do not thirst and are not observed and these spirits will rise against the sons of men and against the women. So in other words what it sounds like here actually is that these are demonic spirits that will cause harm to human beings but we don't see anything here about them causing sin. Now, right afterwards, we also have the punishment of Asael. Remember him? He wasn't the one who made it. That wasn't his issue. He revealed secrets. And now to the watchers who sent you to petition on their behalf, who were formerly in heaven, and now say, you were in heaven, but its secrets had not yet been revealed to you, and a worthless mystery you knew. This you made known to the women in the hardness of your hearts, and through this mystery the women and the men cause evil to increase on the earth. Say to them, therefore, you will not have peace. So we see that there's yet another idea that after the flood, you have not only demons, you have this evil knowledge. And now that has, that will cause evil on the earth. So what have we seen in Enoch? Actually, we've seen several different traditions. And these different traditions also and we've also seen two different approaches to whether the harm caused by the Watchers ended with the flood or not. But if you were just going to read this as a piece, not as a modern scholar, you're not splitting it into little sections. You're saying, okay, what happened? If you just read it and then remembered it. If I asked you, so what did you hear? You would say, okay, the Watchers caused demonic spirits and they caused evil. So in this case, if we were really reading it super carefully, we would say, okay, demonic spirits that cause harm that were born out of the giants, as well as knowledge that caused evil on earth so that their actions kind of begot violence and evil. Do the spirits that came out of the giants, do these spirits cause sin? Well, that doesn't seem to be the focus of this account. What this account is really talking about is that you have these demonic spirits that cause evil. Evil of the physical kind, perhaps. They may cause sin. That's not what it's talking about. However, in a final analysis, the watchers through their actions cause sin by sharing this forbidden knowledge. Now, by the way, this theme of forbidden knowledge causing sin is a very unusual one in the Second Temple literature that we have. In general, Second Temple literature is pro-knowledge. Uh, not against knowledge. And even when there are secret knowledge, usually when it talks about the secret knowledge, um, it's in the middle of sharing it with you. So, um, you know, the book that's discussing secret knowledge is, and this is the secret knowledge, and now you know, and isn't this wonderful? So, this is an unusual approach that we have here. Now, there is, in fact, one exception in Jubilees, and we're going to be discussing the book of Jubilees in the next episode. In Jubilees 8 3, Noah's great grandson, Cainan, C-A-I-N-A-N, if you're reading it in English, discovers a tablet that contains the Watcher's teachings on astrology, and those cause him to sin. So that actually seems to be a reflection of this tradition that we find in Enoch. Now, again, the author of Jubilees read the Book of the Watchers, and so it makes sense that this tradition should find its way into Jubilees in that way. Now, another thing we're going to find next week is that while in Enoch we could quibble about whether the spirits of the Watcher's children cause sin, in Jubilees there's not going to be much of an argument. We're going to see that in Jubilees it's already clear that these evil spirits absolutely cause sin. They're not the only spirits that cause sin, and we're going to discuss that next week as well at least not in Jubilees, but they certainly cause sin. Whereas in Enoch, there is evil and sin that's caused by the Watchers, but it's not necessarily because of the giants' spirits that do live on as demons. So in Enoch, we could say that the spirits of the giants cause Physical destruction among humanity but do not cause sin but in jubilees as we'll see it's pretty clear that they are understood as causing sin even after the flood now as i've mentioned of course there are many books in the book of enoch and the book of the watchers is not the only one that mentions the watchers i'd like to read a little bit to you from another book that's included in first Enoch and that is the book of dream visions now the book of dream visions is not nearly as old as the book of the watchers book of the watchers dates probably to about 250 BCE the book of dream visions is probably closer to 163 160 BCE so you're talking about possibly nearly 100 years afterwards What's interesting about the Book of Dream Visions is it, has, it includes what's called the Animal Apocalypse. The Animal Apocalypse tells a history of the world in animals and then continues on to the coming apocalypse. What does it mean that it ta- tells the history of the world in animals? It means that people are animals. Angels are portrayed as men, usually. And different nations are represented as different species of animal. But in the beginning of the world, before their are separate nations, all people are represented as bulls for men and cows for women. After the flood, there are different species that represent different nations. So reading from chapter 86, and again, I looked with my eyes as I was sleeping and I saw heaven above and behold, a star fell from heaven and it arose and ate and pastured amongst those bulls bulls being the people and after this i saw the large and the black bulls and behold all of their changed all of them changed their pens and their pastures and their heifers and they began to moan one after another so what's happening here who is the star that's falling the star and that'll become even clearer later the star is actually a Asael a falls before the watchers sin with human women and apparently causes sin among the bulls they're switching heifers they're doing things that are that are different and they start to moan so he's causing some kind of strange behavior among the bulls which we would think of as sin and that is causing them distress it's causing them to moan and again I saw in the vision and looked at heaven, and behold, I saw many stars, how they came down and were thrown down from heaven to that first star, and amongst those heifers and bulls, they were with them, pasturing amongst, amongst them. And I looked at them and saw, and behold, all of them lit out their private parts like horses, and began to mount the cows of the bulls, and they all became pregnant, and bore elephants and camels and asses. Okay, so what's happening here? Who is the second group of stars? The second group of stars is Shemichaza and his followers, who follow Asael down. But what they do is they start to mix with human beings, and they take the women of the men, that the cows of the bulls, and they mate with them. And what comes out is some other kind of species, animals that are kind of strange: elephants, camels. And those are representing these giant offspring. Why are there three species that come out of this mating? Elephants, camels, and asses. It's probably an interpretation of what we saw earlier in the Book of the Watchers, the Nifilim, if you'll recall, the giants, and the Eliud. So we have different species of animals coming out. Remember that this section of Enoch was actually written much, much, much later than the Book of the Watchers, so it's using the Book of the Watchers. It's almost an interpret- a reinterpretation of the Book of the Watchers, but it also may reflect other traditions that are floating around. And all the bulls were afraid of them and were terrified before them, and they began to bite with their teeth and to devour and to gore with their horns, and so they began to devour those bulls. And behold all the sons of the earth began to tremble and shake before them and to flee. And again I saw them, how they began to gore one another and to devour one another, and the earth began to cry out. So here we see the violence of the giants. They're killing not just the humans, the bulls, they're killing each other. And the earth is crying out. This is, again, something that happened in the Book of the Watchers, if you recall. And I raised my eyes again to heaven and saw in the vision, and behold, there came from heaven beings who were like white men, and four came from that place and three others with them. And those three who came out last took hold of me by my hand and raised me from the generations of the earth, says Enoch, and lifted me on to a high place and showed me a tower high above the earth. And one said to me, remain here until you have seen everything which is coming upon these elephants and camels and asses and upon the stars and upon all the bulls. So here we see a three part punishment that's about to come. The giants are going to be punished, the elephants, the camels and the asses. The stars will be punished, those angels who fell. And the bulls, the humans who have started to sin, remember they start to gore one another. They're also going to be punished. Okay, so at this point, the good angels have come out, the heavenly beings who were like men. They've come out. They've taken Enoch to a high place where he can see what's going on. And then we see the punishment that each angel gets. And I saw one of those four, one of the good angels, who had come out first how he took hold of that first star which had fallen from heaven he takes hold of a sile and bound it by its hands and its feet and threw it into an abyss and that abyss was narrow and deep and horrible and dark and one of them drew his sword and gave it to those elephants and camels and asses and they began to strike one another and the whole earth shook because of them and as I looked in the vision, behold, one of those four who had come out cast from heaven and gathered and took all the large stars, whose private parts were like the private parts of horses, in other words, those angels who mated with human women, and bound them all by their hands and their feet and threw them into a chasm of the earth. And then there's the flood. Now, what's interesting is that the flood does not just destroy humans, but what's left of the giants. So I'm reading from eighty-nine six. And that vessel, the ark, floated on the water, but all the bulls, i.e. the humans, and elephants and camels and asses, i.e. the watcher's descendants, sank to the bottom together with all the animals so that I could not see them, and they were unable to get out, but were destroyed and sank into the depths. So here... Unlike in the Book of the Watchers, the Giants are completely destroyed. There is no mention of any spirit of the Giants that continues to cause damage to humankind. And they're not mentioned again. That's it. So we see here a very different view of the continued influence of the Watchers. Essentially, any sort of influence that they had ends at the Flood. The Giants are completely destroyed by the Flood, whoever one assumes survived the previous fighting. So this is a retelling, essentially, of the Watchers myth, both the Asael tradition, where Asael teaches forbidden knowledge, and the Shemichaza tradition, where they mate, including the particular punishment of each, that Asael is bound first, and then the angels see their own children destroying each other, and are then bound and wait for the final destruction and yet in this case there doesn't seem to be any sort of long-term repercussions of the watchers or their actions this simply precedes the flood so here we've seen the different traditions of the watchers in the book of enoch in all their different shades where in some of them there is a re- there are repercussions after the flood in some of them There don't particularly seem to be. In some, the Watcher's actions cause human sin as well as causing violence. In some, it isn't clear that they cause anything but violence. For example, if you just take the Shemichaza tradition where there are giants who simply do violence and are then killed by the flood, we can see the spirits of the giants as either causing both sin and physical evil or just physical evil. But uh, what's interesting is how this is going to continue to develop, develop, and really we're going to see it not only in the Book of Jubilees that we're looking at next week, but we're also going to see it in the Dead Sea Scrolls. In very particular instances where people are trying to explain their their own feelings of sinful inclination, and they call in prayer for help against these demonic descendants, We're going to hear about that uh, over the next two episodes. So thank you for tuning in. I look forward to your comments and questions, and I look forward to speaking with you next time. Talk to you then. You have been listening to Understanding Sin and Evil with Dr. Miriam Brand. Learn more at understandingsin.com.